Welcome to Geek and Friends. I'm your host, Scott Davis, alongside Jason Hickey. Scott, what are we talking about today? I think we're going to go and do Picard. It is that time, isn't it? New episode of Picard came out last week, so we have a whole new episode of Picard to talk about. Yeah, and I, for one... I really enjoyed it. It's called Absolute Candor. Candor. Candor sounds like a planet. It's not what I expected, but I, I think it, it's really painting the picture of the journey Picard's been on in this series and in the past 14 years of Star Trek history. We all know that Picard basically quit Starfleet. He shut in on himself. And we know from last week that he shut out Rafi, his number one at the time, and just basically abandoned her. Well, now we're learning that there were some Romulan refugees that he was directly helping that he also essentially abandoned and it's an unpicard like move but but here we are now i remember when i'm watching the episode i saw a bunch of warrior nuns yes we have romulan ninja nuns that are in star trek and it's amazing so, so I'm, I'm thinking you know i can incorporate this in my DD campaign you definitely could 100 <laughs> percent could now I, I do think that they are definitely paying a little bit of homage to dune because if not in function in form they somewhat remind me of the benny jesuit in that it's a, a super secretive league of women only doing things things you know political and other such things but that's pretty much where the similarities end because while the Benny Gesserit were more manipulators these women whose name is, is just not in my head right now and we'll we'll get it at a later date they are essentially just warrior assassins see I was thinking it was a mix between Fardaris Mai and the wise ones from Wheel of Time you know what that could also work uh, for those of you that don't know Fardaris Mai and the, and the wise ones are from a group in the Wheel of Time called the Aiel they are strictly women uh, the wise ones are wise women and the Fardaris Mai are the warrior race of women yes so in this uh, super secret Romulan nun assassins we have a young boy who was raised by them although he can never be fully a part of them because he is in fact a male who feels abandoned by Picard rightfully so I might add his name is Elnor and when we meet him for the second time because we meet him as a boy when we meet him as an adult he is very angry with Picard well he was left yes Picard was trying to help him and was actively helping him and then when he left Starfleet he didn't come back to this planet it seems and Elnor feels abandoned now my question is Elnor pretty much took to Picard as if Picard was his male figure, which he really he really was. Right. But why didn't any of those other Romulans go to actually assist the boy? Well, if, if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that in when you're in the situation those Romulans are in, you fall in one of two categories. You fall in the altruistic, we are a community, we need to lift each other up, and only together will we survive. And then you have the other side of that, which is you are not a part of my family or my group, and I am saving our resources for us and I cannot help and it appears that Elnor was a victim of that and the only ones who were willing to help him were the Romulan ninja nuns we will keep on calling them then that because honestly it just sounds badass it does I'm I'm fully in favor of calling them this in the show (laughs) so in, in this episode Picard comes because he needs one of these warriors to accompany him in order to help because apparently they have major beef with the Tal Shiar so he approaches them and he approaches Elnor and Elnor basically tells him to go get bent in pretty spectacular fashion. And then Picard's getting ready to leave and just in a super arrogant way tears down a Romulans only sign on this little you know restaurant slash cafe and sits down and wants to be served and my first thought is man I get that you helped these people but it's been years they probably don't like you very much what are you 
doing? Well, I see this as Picard being Picard because that is actually a pure Picard maneuver. Being, you do what I tell you to do and you always do what I tell you to do and that's it. Uh, Right. Well, they didn't take well to this. This former Romulan senator took his beef with Picard, challenged him to a fight and was most likely going to win because at this point we got to face it, Picard's an old man. When Elnor comes in and tells him that you can either back away or you can die. But the man chose wrong. Now, what was the, I don't remember the name of the pact that he made with Elnor, but pretty much the pact, I will follow you because you are a lost cause. Yes. And I I read something that it kind of cast a little bit of a different light on that. Is the lost cause Picard's mission or is the lost cause Picard? I think Elnor is seeing the lost cause as Picard himself, not the mission. The mission doesn't really matter too much to Elnor. I believe he feels Picard is a lost cause because he's not doing this to protect Picard just for this one mission. I believe in his mind, he's going to be Picard's body servant until Picard's death and or his death. That's kind of the, or at least until this mission is over, he may decide to leave at some point, but I kind of got the same impression that he's there because he thinks Picard is is too far gone and he wants to be there. Mm. Oh, and I did look it up. The ninja nuns are the Coat Milat. I will continue to call them ninja nuns because A, it's easier to remember and B, it sounds cooler. <laughs> so elsewhere in the episode, we've got, and I'm going to cover this first because I found it less interesting. On the Borg cube, we've got Soji and Narek being cutesy and him being kind of a jerk. And his sister just coming in. Just and being to be... super creepy. Yeah, I mean, she Man. just like randomly pops up into his room. And now, like, like, I understand like when she was a hologram, I was like, okay, fine. But she's actually there in person Right. And man, I get that Narek is kind of a skeezy guy because look what he's doing. He's seducing this girl in order to get her secrets. I get it. But man, what is up with his sister? That chick is... mm. I thought that she was going to try and hit on him. That's what I thought. It's like, this is not Game of Thrones, people. This is Star Trek. Let's back off. So anyway, again, apparently she's a destroyer and Narek is taking his time because he wants to find, quote, all of them. Leading us to believe that it might not just have been Dodge and Soji. There may be more of these androids. Some the same that, that these androids are made in pairs. And we can definitely assume that when he made them, he didn't make just Dodge and Soji once. He made multiple versions to try and perfect it. It's, it's very possible. And I'm really hoping that we do get caught up and we do find Bruce Maddox. Because I will say, I did rewatch Measure of a Man, which was in season two, not season one, by the way, so I apologize. I rewatched that. And not only does it hold up as just a fantastic episode, he's pretty skeezy in that. So... Well, he was skeezy. He was just an unethical jag. So I'm hoping that they that we're gonna find Maddox. But just to cover the rest of the the crew in the episode, we we have while Picard was down on this planet because he went down by himself. You've basically got the captain being kind of melancholy. You've got Girati being sort of annoying. Well, I'm actually gonna reverse further into the episode on this one. Oh boy, go! They just leave and they just fly off. You have Girati just going to see the captain. The captain's literally doing nothing. He's reading a book, and I mean an actual book. Right. Everyone normally reads from. Tablets or, or things like that. And here he's actually sitting there reading a book and he's so aloof to everything around him. Yes. Almost standoffish. I've been in that situation where I've been trying to read and somebody just comes up and they just, they talk and they talk and they talk and polite society tells us that we cannot thump them with our books, even though we want to. So I really felt for him in that scene because that's annoying. <laughs> Especially for book readers that are out there. We all want to just delve ourselves into our own book. I don't remember what the book was called that he was reading. Oh, it was some existential life and death. Yeah, yeah. But it was something that, you know, know, a bad book in general, but it was something that he wanted to go into. Right, yeah. 
Captain Rios has remarkable self-restraint. I will give him that. Oh, update. We have two more holograms. <laughs> the concierge one was pretty funny. The concierge one was, was hilarious. And I love the fact that Rios hates him, which begs the question. Why does he allow that hologram to be there? If he hates him, is does he not have control of these holograms? I'm, I, I understand that this is probably a cutesy plot point, but I'm really interested to see the answer to these questions. I feel that they are all aspects of his personality. Okay. And the reason why he's and the reason why he's anti one hologram versus anti another is because he doesn't like that own point of his own personality. That's true. That is the social personality, and as we can see from him, he's not a very social person. He likes to be by himself. So that that's a very good theory. I like it. Whereas when we get to the tactical officer. That is his alcoholic side coming out because that guy (laughs) (laughs) um it that was funny i laughed out loud when i saw that and it was fantastic and oh callback to the absolutely beautifully rendered tos era bird of prey that was fantastic full-on beam weapons and everything none of these phaser pulse cannons that modern trek likes to use this was straight out of tos and it was great and i loved it and then i I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention who came to their rescue this was i mean i I knew she was coming in the show i knew she was coming around but i didn't think she was going to be entering in this way right it was it was a surprise because i'm gonna i'm gonna admit i don't i skip the credits so when the show comes on they do their cold open They go into the credits. I fast forward because I don't want to look at that constantly. So I did not see the name guest starring Jerry Ryan in this. And I did not know Seven of Nine was coming in this episode. So that was a, it was a pleasant surprise. She had one line and I'm really glad to have her back. This is, this is pretty great. We know that she probably had interactions with Pirate after she came back from the Delta Quadrant. Maybe. Did we ever see her interact with Picard at any point? Never. The only time you ever see Picard interact with anybody from Voyager is in the movie Star Trek Nemesis, where he interacts with Admiral Janeway. So, oh yeah, Janeway became an Admiral before Picard did. It's because they didn't want to give her a ship, because the last time they gave her a ship, she got lost. <laughs> I'd stick her behind a desk too. All joking aside, she did get most of her crew back, so she probably earned that. But anyway, she could have been shoved off into a DS. This is true. All right, I'll give her that. We don't ever see him interacting with her. This may be the first time. This may be a long correspondence. I, I don't know. I do know from reading up on this episode that she is part of the a group called the Fenris Rangers, which are kind of an independent peacekeeping force that patrols this sector of the galaxy, and that's what she's been doing lately. So I'm very interested to see where this is going. Because next week, we're getting to Free Cloud, and we're going to see if I'm right or if Scott's right. I still feel that it is a casino haven of debauchery. It may be. I'm still hoping for the creatures without a planet, Casablanca <laughs> style planet, but we'll see. We'll see. Next week. Next week. So what was your main takeaway from this episode? Uh, my main takeaway is that Picard really shut in on himself. It was, uh, Picard's not a selfish person, but this was probably his most selfish act in that he just, he was shattered when he was, when his bluff was called by Starfleet. He left and he's been wallowing in self-pity and depression for 14 years. So really this is, this is a comeback for him and I'm, I'm glad for it because because it's the character that we know, but it's too bad that he had to get to that point. Sorry to see him happen this way, but I'm glad to see him back. Exactly. All right, Jason, well, thank you for kicking us on Star Trek. My pleasure. Now, we're going to go and talk about Wheel of Time. Yes. 
So we're going to talk about the first book in the Wheel of Time. Now, I know last time we talked about Wheel of Time, we were discussing, you know, new casting yeah. for the TV show and right. stuff like that. But we want to go over not just TV shows or movies. We also want to talk and discuss our reactions to favorite books of ours. We did Dune before. Yep. We're going to do the whole Wheel of Time series. We're going to go into the do a whole bunch of other book series. So right now we're going to talk about the Wheel of Time. And the first book of the Wheel of Time is Eye of the World. Now, we do want to say we might delve in to some light spoilers on these, but we're going to try and keep our, our book talks relatively spoiler-free because we don't want to ruin it for you guys. We want everyone to read all these books. Absolutely. That is your job. Listen and then read. <laughs> but the first thing I actually we want to do is we we want to discuss how we got into Wheel of Time in the first place. Yes. So I'm a little older than Jason, uh, so I actually I did start reading the book series probably earlier than him. Oh, yes. I started in 96. The reason why I know specifically the year and roughly the time frame is I was just graduating high school and I had an internship job at a, I don't remember the, comp- the place I was interning at, but one of the other interns I was with, we were taking the train together and he was, he saw me reading a book and he was like, oh, you know what book you should read? You should read The Wheel of Time. I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, it's great. It's a fantasy book, fantasy series. I was like, sure, sure. I'll do it. I pick up the eye of the world. I finished that before the end of the internship. And then I went right into the great hunt. <laughs> I just, just went right into it. Okay. Pretty much. I went from there from the eye of the world until crown of swords. Cause that's really roughly. I had to stop at crown of swords only because there were no more books out yet, which is hard. <laughs> and I had to wait. So you actually had to experience the slog. So I had to experience the slog during the actual wait. I, I actually was mm-hmm. waiting on the slog, hoping for things. We'll go into what the slog slog is later later don't we don't want you to feel it's ruining anything but it, it really doesn't it gets it, it gets a little bit of flack but it's i don't believe it's earned no i think to me there's only one book honestly still feel that is but the rest of it is it's just it's a little slower than the others yes i'll agree so we'll go with jason explain how he started reading it and then we'll go into the first book all right so um 2003 i uh, i had started at a bank and i was a i was a bank teller and i read some books throughout that year because it was a small branch they didn't care if we read at our desks as long as our work was done. So I, I read a lot. It was that year that somebody recommended it to me. Now it was one of my oldest friends, Jesse. It was his friend who we went to high school with. Isn't Jesse the one in Australia? That's Josh. Okay, sorry. Oh, no, Jesse's in Iowa. And it was his friend Andy, who was a huge fan of the series and just kept on telling me, oh man, Jason, you got to read it. You got to read it. Do you like Lord of the Rings? You'll love this. So I was at a bookstore. I picked up the first book and I read the prologue of Eye of the World and I instantly fell in love with it. I bought the book that day. And like you, I, I, and because there were more books released at this point, there were one through 10 were released at this point. And I read one through 10 in a row over the period of about five, six months in 2004. I'll say this. You did read it faster than I did. I had a lot of downtime. Like I said, it was a small branch. So I I had like five, six hours a day where there was really nothing to do other than help a random customer. Yeah, I know. And we just did it during uh, breaks and on um, train rides. Mm. So the books were for train rides. Yes. Eye of the World, though. It's the introductory story of the fantasy land that we all love. Yes. And we're hesitating right now because it's it's kind of funny. The continent doesn't have a name. It is it, it it's never named. Other continents in the series are named, but the main continent where this story takes place is not named. Just and the thing is, when we people start calling it by the name, has been you know fondly named by the fan community, it starts to give a slight spoiler. Slight. So really, we can't call it that until we delve more into the Great Hunt, which we'll do at a later date. 
Yes. So starting off, though, we have, we're introduced to our main core character. I consider the core characters to be Moraine, Lan, Rand, Perrin, Matram, Tom, Egwen, and Nynaeve. Yes. And we are going to butcher names here, so we apologize. Yes. I, I get most of mine from the audiobooks, so I feel that I am more right. But we'll let you be the judge. Kate Redding and Michael Kramer, amazing. Absolutely fantastic. And they read every book in the series on the audio too. So if, if audio is your flavor, they're great and they're consistent through the entire series. <laughs> I wouldn't say consistent with names though. <laughs> well, consistent with names is, but that's the thing about them. They'll have different characters <coughs> pronouncing things differently because the characters don't know. That's one thing Wheel of Time is great at is you really see things from the perspective of the person that you're reading from. So you may have, you know, character A, we're, we're, we'll, we'll go with a couple of the names you had we'll go with matt you'll have a perspective from matt and matt knows things for certain and he knows this is going to happen and he knows this happens in the past but he could be completely dead wrong he knows for a certainty we as the reader might know differently but it's only because we've read from say land's perspective i think one of the key aspects in this book is when you give him this perspective and it's, it's the most stupidest thing but it's when Rand says i don't know how to deal with women parent <laughs> and matt does and then you see the next perspective of a parent i don't know how to deal with women matt and ren does. yes <laughs> and then matt is the same exact way i have no idea how to so, deal with women. so we as the reader know that these guys know absolutely nothing about women but they're convinced that their friends are just the biggest ladies men and it's it, it's great in that aspect that you really experience the story through that character's eyes when their perspective is up now the story as i said starts off with these Seven, eight. eight, yeah. Eight. These eight either. main characters. There is uh, five kids, which are uh, Rand, Matt, which I call Matrum. Uh, Matt. Was he in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> Perrin, <clears throat> Egwen, and Nynaeve. Those are the five kids. And we call them the Emmonsfield Five because that's where they're from. Correct. Then you have Moraine, who's an Aes Sedai. We'll get into that a little later. Yeah. Uh, Lan, who's a water. Again, we'll get into that a little later. And Tom. Tom's a gleeman. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> Tom is a Tom, simple Tom, country Tom gleeman. Is, is way more than a gleeman. <laughs> Tom is a simple country gleeman. I have no idea what you're talking about. Tom is not just a gleeman. <laughs> he starts off as a gleeman, yes. But he will... I suppose a case could be made for him having other interests, but come on. He's a gleaner. He wears the cloak. Uh, don't go there. Man <laughs> wore the cloak. True. True, he did. Anyway, um, uh, the first book, Eye of the World, it's slightly... It is similar to... Yes, it's it, derivative. It's similar to Fellowship of the Ring in structure. No, it's actually the entire Lord of the Ring series. Uh, yeah, I guess... Yeah, all right. Yes, correction. Scott is correct. It's basically, if you took the Lord of the Rings trilogy, boiled it down to one book, it is, this follows a lot of the same story beats. Now, this can throw you. Um, I think it's told very well. Uh, the story beats are there. It is noticeable if you've read Lord of the Rings, which I have more times than I can remember. But the thing is, once this book ends, that comparison ends because... It goes so much further. It's literally Lord of the Rings in one book. Then you have 14 other books. There are a total of 15 books. I mean, I am including the prologue in this. Yes. Prequel. The prequel in this. So I am including the prequel in this. So there are 15 books. So 14 other books. 
this is so much more than Lord of the Rings. Yes. And now let's we're not bagging on Lord of the Rings. It is the granddaddy of modern fantasy. It is it's great. There's it's no the other reason, word for it's it. It's the reason why Wheel of Time was made even made. Exactly. All these fantasy series that people love nowadays would not be here if it weren't for Lord of the Rings. And we're we're including Game of Thrones in that. Sorry. A Song of Ice and Fire. Wheel <coughs> of Time, Mistborn. All of these things were affected by Lord of the Rings. So we are not dogging on that at all. We're just saying that Wheel of Time is better. <laughs> <laughs> So the story, though, like I said, starts off with these eight characters. They go off. They go off into the journey, and then during the journey, we get to a point where the main three characters, which you know, as I keep, I'm, I'm actually narrowing it down, but the main three characters, which are Rand, Matram, and Perrin. Yes, Jason is laughing at me every time I'm calling him Matram. Every single time. <laughs> Um, but so each of the three characters, they're now starting to go into their own separate arcs. Yes. Uh, Rand is the leader character. We'll start off with that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the one that they do look to more as a leader. Yep. Uh, Perrin is nature. I was going to call him the contemplator. He likes to think things through, but yes, nature could work. Yes. Uh, contemplation is very good, but I think later in the story, he kind of leaves from that point. Okay. And he goes a little further, and I, I think he always consistently stays with the nature and animal connections and stuff to that nature. That's Yeah, I'll give you that. That's true. And then Matt is... He's the definition of a rogue. Yes. Yes. He is, he is plain and simple, I'm going to steal because... I want it. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna gamble. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go buy that random woman a drink. I'm going to do whatever I want because it looks fun at the time. And when you're looking at these three characters and these three aspects, you don't know where they're gonna go and what they're gonna head off into, but you do see the connection between each of them, and you see the camaraderie, and you see that this is the story of not just high fantasy, but it's the story of a troop, an army unit, yeah. uh, a unit of unlikely allies combining to each other to be able to pull their forces together for the greater good. Right. Although they actually were friends in the, from, the, from the very beginning oh, right, right. and stuff like that, but they are extremely different from each other. Yes, very different. Then we go and we look into the other girls, Nynaeve and Egwene. Well, yes. So Nynaeve starts the story off as what's called a village wisdom. She's basically um, a healer in their small little backwater village. And Egwene is her apprentice. And Egwene basically leaves because she wants high adventure. She wants to get out of this village and see what's out there. She's actually probably at this point in the story the most fearless of these characters. She's the only one that actually wants to go on the adventure. Exactly. None of the other guys, none of the boys want to go on the adventure. They're being forced to go on this adventure. Right. Nynaeve is, is, doesn't want to go on this adventure. Nynaeve wants to go and bring everyone back to Emmons Field. Right. Bring them back and get back to her herbs. Now, we have three other characters. Yes. We were talking a bit about Tom, who is the... Obviously, he's Gleeman. a Gleeman. He was the Gleeman, and I'm doing air quotes on this one. <laughs> <coughs> But Tom is doing this for altruistic purposes himself. Yes. We find out more about Tom's backstory, uh, especially on the river spray. Yes. On the river, on the boat, the spray. Yes. Sorry, Let's... I needed to clarify that. And Tom is is there to watch over the boys 
in a situation like Rand and Matt. Because he has an extreme lack of trust of a person. He has a extreme lack of trust of a group of people, which are the Aes Sedai. Yes, which are personified in Moraine. Moraine. Now, Moraine, as I said, is the Aes Sedai. Aes Sedai, let's be, I'm being blunt on this one. She's a witch. Uh, essentially, yeah. I was going to say wizard. I mean, she's the Gandalf of this story. Yes. She's a wizard. She's a witch. She's a warlock. Whatever you want to call it. She is magical. Yes. She has the ability to produce, to conjure, to eavesdrop, to pretty much do magical functionality. Right. And Lan is her water. I say her water. I didn't say just a water. Waters are bonded to Aes Sedai, and they are the protectorates of the Aes Sedai. Yes. But Lan is kick-ass. Lan is so much more than a warder. And I, I'm not going to spoil it, but man, Lan is a top-tier character in this series. And this is just the beginning. And this is just us introducing the characters to you. We haven't even gotten into the actual story of what's happening. Right. And that we're going to do in our next episode. We're going to start off with Wheel of Time. And we'll see how far we get into that. And then we might go into something else after, like we always try to do. Two things in one episode. But I want to thank you all for listening to Geek and Friends. I've been your geek, Scott. I've been your geek, Jason. And enjoy the rest of your day. 